Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh? I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the church just five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Yep. 
so uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on here so we can chop it up because people need to know. So, Mr. They J, if I, can I call you Joshua? Please do. All right. Joshua, I, you know, I got some information on you, man, but I always kind of like it better when our listeners could hear some things from you. So if you could take a little moment and just tell our listeners who Joshua Shea is. Well, um, I am uh, from central Maine. I was born here, pretty much lived here my entire life. Um, the reason I'm on your show today is because I am a a uh, recovering porn addict and an educator when it comes to pornography addiction. Um, I suffered with pornography addiction for about 20, 25 years until it got to a place that uh, it really blew up in my face in a major way. Um, I ended up doing six months in jail for talking to a teenager online, getting her to do things that an adult shouldn't be asking a teenager to do, while I was in jail, um, I met with a lot of men who were there for things like drug abuse, for things like domestic violence, but so many of them had sex and pornography issues that they were actually more embarrassed about, more shamed about than the reasons they were in jail, that I decided to take my story, uh, which is a big uh you know, falling down the rabbit hole kind of story and just show the world how people do get addicted pornography and to also spread the word that uh, you can recover from it as well if you're willing to put in the hard work. Right, and and you kind of just led into one of my first uh, questions for you today is uh, what what are the causes and signs of uh, pornography addiction? Well, I mean, the causes can be anything. It, it, it's addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. Why do people become gambling addicts or food addicts or drug addicts or alcoholics? Um, there's something going on. Addiction is uh, really just a symptom of a bigger problem. Um, and you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get into recovery, you have to figure out what the bigger problem is. As far as signs of addiction, um, it's very much. Uh, if you are in a situation where you are making promises to yourself about your behavior, where you know that you're engaging in a behavior that, that's harmful, when that behavior actually has negative effects in your life, well, you're probably an addict at that point. And with pornography, obviously it's spending too much time in front of a computer or in front of a TV set. Um, you know, it's about being, uh, you know, angry with people when they bring up any kind of pornography issues or mention that you have, they think you might have an issue. It's when you start choosing pornography over spending time with your family, your friends, and then ultimately it can lead to problems, whether it be at work or with the law or, you know, with your family. Um, it's, it's really just like any other addiction that's out there. Mm-hmm. I guess that's understandable because people with addictive personalities can become addictive to pretty much anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, addiction is addiction is addiction. The while obviously, you know, if you're a gambling addict, you can lose your house. If you're a drug addict, you can mess up your body. Um, if you're a food addict, you'll end up gaining a lot of weight. Different things happen to you with different addictions, but uh, scientists can tell you in your brain. In your pleasure sensors, where there's dopamine, where there's oxytocin, 
all you're doing when you're feeding the beast of addiction is you're giving that little, you know, dopamine receptor a little flick. And eventually what happens is if it's alcohol, you have to go from beer to wine to hard liquor. If it's uh, porn addiction like I was, it goes from magazines to watching videos to being, you know, in chat rooms on a computer. Uh, addiction, you need to keep feeding the beast because that's the only way that you feel like you can actually function when it's you know, destroying you. I noticed you, you left out strip clubs. That wasn't a thing. For me, it wasn't. And, and, you know, pornography is one of those things that, to me, pornography is a concept. You can take a Victoria's Secret catalog, and that can be pornography. Now, I see a Victoria's Secret catalog as a nuisance that's on the table at my house that's making the place all cluttered. I never looked at Victoria's Secret catalogs, but that could be the thing that you love, and you don't, you don't watch right. any triple X films. But you like that. So, you know, it's one of those things where uh, whatever whatever works for you uh, as pornography is pornography. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, you know if, you're, if you're spending six hours a day looking at, uh, you know, good housekeeping, good housekeeping or or other women's magazines, you know, and it's it's affecting your life negatively just because it's not a penthouse or a hustler doesn't mean it's not pornography if you're using it for that purpose. I guess I'm seeing it also. I've been in the music industry also for a bunch of years, and I'm also seeing a lot of artists also doing X-rated music videos. Yep, yep, absolutely. And because it sells. I mean, that's the thing is that sex sells. Sex has sold since the beginning of time. You can go back and look at cave paintings and Egyptian drawings on the walls, and you'll find pornographic scenes. It's one of those things that has permeated our culture, and I by no means am trying to end pornography. That's that's a foolish errand. All I'm trying to do is let people know, especially in this age of the Internet, and we have a generation that's now leaving college, entering jobs for the first time. These kids don't know a world without the Internet. The statistics of their addiction to pornography are absolutely off the charts. Right now, one in three men, that's 33% of men between the ages of 18 and 35, said they either have a problem with or an addiction to pornography. That's one out of three men under 35 in this country says they have an uh, addiction to pornography. That's scary. Wow. And if we don't take care of that soon, this, this Me Too stuff is going to look like nothing in 20 or 30 years if we don't start addressing this. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, Anything massive happened, but in health class in school where you learn about drugs and you learn about sex, something needs to be said about pornography. Parents raising their kids today need to say something about pornography to your kids, just like you do with drugs or alcohol or sex or other things that can be harmful if you don't use them correctly. Right. Well, that was out of the question that was coming up, too. What is the state of porn addiction in the world today? And obviously, uh, people who are into it would know a lot more about it than the people that aren't. And uh, I know you've had to do a tremendous amount of research and plus your own journey to really know about what's happening out there in the world today with that. So share a little bit about that with us, if you would. Well, I'll tell you, the the challenge with being somebody who educates about pornography addiction, as I do, is that unlike someone who talks about alcoholism, um, you know, people drink, people drink, and, it, and they don't have problems. 
we've got bars and restaurants all over the place, and most people who drink know how to do it. <coughs> excuse me, responsibly, and they don't have any problems saying, I have a beer now and then. The problem with pornography addiction education is that nobody wants to admit they look at pornography in the first place. When I go to a library or I go to another group and I give a speech about porn addiction, I always ask the same question as a bit of an icebreaker. I say, okay, now raise your hand if you look at pornography. And everybody just looks around at each other like they're crazy. And statistics say, because nobody wants to admit that they even engage in the behavior. Now, I know most people who look at pornography will not develop a pornography addiction. But people don't want to even admit that they look at pornography. It's a shame thing you do by yourself. It involves sex and naked people, and you don't want to talk about it because it's squeamish. But here's the thing. 30, 40 years ago... We had a problem with opioids in this country, but we ignored it. You can go back and look at cop shows in the 1970s, and they're talking about heroin. You can go back and listen to some rappers in the very late 80s, early 90s. They're talking about abusing things like Vicodin. It's not like we didn't see the opioid crisis coming. We just decided as a country that the people who were into that stuff were just less than us. They were, they were homeless. They were gross. These are drug addicts. They're not real people. Well, now, very few of us know any, uh, have a life where we don't know somebody who's got an opioid addiction because we didn't take care of it. We were reactive, not proactive. And what I'm trying to do is let people know that, hey, if we don't start doing some basic education and some you know, basic letting people know what the effects of pornography can be, we're going to be in a situation in 30 or 40 years when half the men in this country are going to be addicted to pornography, a quarter of the women are going to be addicted to pornography. Now, you tell me, is that a healthy sexual society? It, it, it isn't. And I hate to think what's going to happen because people are just going to be raised on the Internet and be fed this stuff again and again and warp their brains. Question for you. Uh, is, there any, is there any connection between porn addiction and sexual abuse? None. What you, what you will find is that uh, sometimes people who uh, are abusers have looked at pornography, um, but there is no hard and fast connection between the two things. Um, they're, they're separate, and while there are researchers who have tried to connect them, what they usually end up in their findings is saying that there, there isn't any smoking gun that's sitting there, um, that people who end up being abusers they were usually abused themselves they might have used pornography as uh something of a medicine to uh escape the abuse um but unfortunately um you know it still happens and just because you know you look at pornography uh it it doesn't mean there are any higher or lower cases of abuse Right, and I'm not even sure why I thought of that except for the fact that it both, you know, had sex involved one way or the other. Right. No, no, and it, it, it's a good question because a lot of times what you'll find is is that por- people who are pornography addicts are some of the most normal, 
uh, people on the surface. You know, nobody had any idea I had a pornography addiction for 20 years. I was a white collar professional guy who was well respected in my my local business community. You know, nobody had any idea what, what was going on with me. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never. Uh, you know, not not even sexually, but I've never abused anybody, never spanked my kids, never did anything like that, um, never even thought about doing anything like that. Um, it's, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote my book was to show that anybody can be a porn addict, you know, man, woman, black, white, tall, short, rich, poor, smart, stupid. It doesn't matter. I've met all types. There is no stereotypical porn addict. So let me ask you this. Uh I know with your your other your your regular job and your occupation and your career and stuff. Do you feel like any stresses or any pressures from that uh allowed um the porn stuff to be a a relief? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you I know like I, a stress relief, I, you know, cuz sometimes we go Yeah, no, just, absolutely. You you got it. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, go no, ahead, absolutely. And the thing is much much like, you know, and I also uh, have had issues with alcoholism, and they've been very similar. It's about escaping who I am. Now, I could drink if I was I was a magazine publisher for many years here in central Maine, and I could go to public functions where I'm not very comfortable around people, and I could have a beer or two and loosen up a little bit. When I would come home at night, very late at night, you know, while I'm still trying to get work done on my magazine or some other venture that I'm working on, you know, my wife and kids are asleep and I can't pretend that I'm, you know, the successful magazine guy or I can't pretend that I'm a local politician, which I was. It's just me by myself. And that always made me very uncomfortable. So, you know, I was escaping from who I really was. Because you flip on the computer, you turn on a video on the computer, uh, that woman there or that man there, they're never going to say no to you because they can't talk back. And if I want to escape to you know, a bunch of blonde girls one night, I can do that. If I want to escape to a bunch of Asian girls the next night, I can do that. Nobody says no. Nobody demands anything of me. Nobody points a finger and says I'm not a worthy person. I can escape to the fantasy land of porn. Um, and that's really what I did for 20, 25 years. Right. Which is understandable. Yeah, I, I can see that because, again, you know, you go to what makes you feel better, especially when you're yeah. stressed out. Absolutely. And a lot of times it was I'd start my night with Red Bull and tequila, and then once the wife and kids went to bed, I'd move over to the pornography side of things. You know, I had to keep myself numb because – the reality of who I was just over the years built up too much, and I developed these, you know, two addictions. All right. That's very, very interesting. So let me say here, uh, for those that just joined the show, uh, if you'd like to join at any time, and if you have a question, don't be shamed, don't be shy. Um, we won't laugh, but we won't say nothing because we're all grown here. Just press number one on your phone with be glad to have you join the conversation and um, hopefully answer your questions. Um, Joshua, what 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 caused you to write a book? Here's a twofold question. What caused you to write a book about your struggle with your porn addiction? And do you feel like writing this book had added to your recovery or helped in any way? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll tell you that, you know, the, the story ultimately is that uh, I was, uh, like I said, a magazine publisher. I was also a local politician in my town. And I, um, the stress of my work became bigger and bigger. And uh, I started to see some major cracks in my business. And I'm a good writer. I'm a good editor. I'm not a very good businessman. And I didn't quite know how to save my business. So I made a very stupid decision. I pulled myself off of medication that I've been taking for bipolar disorder for about 15 years. And I thought that I would be able to Uh tap into my manic side. I'd be able to Uh get all this energy. I'd be creative. I'd figure out how to solve my problems. Well, unfortunately, none of that happened. What happened was that both my alcoholism and my porn, my porn addiction exploded. And I was started to, you know, I would only use the Internet very late at night. Well, I started using it multiple times during the day. I would only drink late at night. Well, I started to drink multiple times during the day. And ultimately, what happened was that the videos I viewed online uh, stopped being enough. So I moved over to chat rooms. And for several months, I talked to women in chat rooms, and uh, I got pretty good at getting them to take their clothes off and, and you know, touch themselves and do anything to my will. Is that, that, that's, that's, that was the addiction because videos wouldn't do it for me anymore. I needed real people. And one day in early 2014, the Maine State Police showed up at my door and said, one of those women that you were talking to was a teenage girl. And my life as I knew it crashed around me right there because I had no idea. I had no idea at the time that's that's what the situation was. And uh, I uh, from that from the day that I was arrested to the day that I was sentenced 22 months later, I went to rehab for alcoholism. I went to rehab for porn addiction. I spent hundreds of hours in therapy um, and when I and, and doing research about porn and sex addiction, and when I made it to jail, I was sentenced to uh, six months. When I made it into jail, I decided that after talking to some of these guys and realizing how much they had sex issues and how much they had porn issues, that I wasn't going to waste my time there. I was going to write my book. And so I sat there literally with notebooks and pencils and wrote the first draft of my book, when I got out, I edited it down a bit. Um, absolutely helped me get through some of those really tough times, those demon times. And now I, uh, I got the book out earlier this year. And now I, you know, I go on shows like yours. I speak at libraries, at churches, other groups who want to hear from me. I'm working on my next book because I'm just trying to let people know and let guys know that, hey, you know what? Porn addicts are not 19-year-old guys who are in their mom's basement who have never kissed a girl in real life. You know, we kind of get that picture of them in our head, but porn addict can be anybody. And what I'm trying to let people know is that, you know, for 99.9% of my life, I would have never thought that I could get to the point that I'd do something as despicable as I did. But I did get to that point. And if I can get to that point, anybody can get to that point. So if people are listening, if they have a problem with porn addiction, please go get some help. Figure out what's behind it. Figure out how to take care of it before it escalates out of control like I did. And also we, we notice here that the World the World Health Organization is recognizing porn addiction as a diagnosable and treatable condition as of July this year? 
Yes, they released their latest uh, uh, kind of Bible for their profession, which uh, is used by psychologists, therapists, counselors all over the world. And finally, there's been enough research over the last 10, 15 years that they have identified uh, sexual sexual compulsivity disorder as an actual diagnosable condition and treatable condition. And the reason this is a big deal is because it tends to put an end to people who say that's not a real thing. You know, people like your Harvey Weinstein's or or Tiger Woods, they get in trouble and they claim sex addiction or porn addiction. And people say, oh, they're just faking it. Well, I don't know if they're faking it or not because I'm not in their shoes, but this is actually something that really exists. And thankfully, now uh, insurances will have to uh, pay for this. If somebody goes to a therapist and they're diagnosed, if somebody goes to a rehab and they're diagnosed – uh, they can have insurance and they can have uh, everything that other addicts have when it comes to treatment. How important is, uh, uh, I know, well, let me see how to ask this question. Uh, I know being in your position and having been arrested by this, I can't imagine how that uh, felt, um, you know, with uh, the embarrassment in the community. But how how important is family support? Uh, If it wasn't for my family, I don't know if I, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, I don't know if I would have survived the situation. Because uh, when I was informed that one of these people that I talked to was underage, it's just the biggest embarrassment, the biggest amount of shame. I mean, the fact that, you know, I, I was talking to a child, uh, that seems like something I could never do in my life, but I actually did that. And I don't blame the addiction because the thing is, I'm the one who pulled myself off of my bipolar meds. I knew that I had a mental health condition, and I ignored it to try to save my company. So this is all completely my fault. I don't blame anybody or anything else. This is I take responsibility for what I did. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like a scarlet letter. I've probably lost 80% of my friends. Um, the, uh, while I was the, I, I owned uh, the magazine, I was only one of four owners, and the other three fired me the day I was arrested. Uh, wow. You know, I, uh, you know I, I'm, I have to register as a sex offender in Maine at this point because I did this. Um, it radically changed my life, and I recognized that I can eat and because of my stature in the community as the publisher of a magazine and as a local politician who served on his city council, when I was arrested, this was front page news. Um, When my wife picked me up from jail, when I got bailed out, we came back to my house and there was already a TV news van there. So my story is out there. Anybody can go on Google and uh, research my name and all of the details are out there. And I just decided that, you know, with all the details out there, I can't hide from this. People know who I am. I might as well try to do some good with this because um, it would just eat me up inside. It would eat me up inside if I just sat on it. And the best thing that I can do is try to make this not happen with other people, both for the victims and for the victimizer's sake. You know, if you have a porn addiction, get some help because. Uh, Like I said, I never thought I'd get to that point, but I did. And if I can get there, anybody can. 
And we definitely, uh, Josh, we definitely want to commend you uh, for having the strength to uh, come forth and deal with this in the manner that you're dealing because you could have dealt with it a whole other way. And it takes a lot of strength right. and, and, and uh, uh, courage. And like um, you said, my family, like my family doing. stayed by my side. You know, you, to get back to your question, my family right. stayed by my side. My wife, when she bailed me out, she said, I have one question for you. Was this little kid? And I was like, no, absolutely not. This was a teenage girl. I, I, I thought she was older than she was, but I was so sick. I wasn't asking for IDs. As long as someone would stop and talk to me, that was good enough for me if they looked like a woman. And unfortunately, there are a lot of girls in this world who look like women who aren't women. And it's on, <laughs> it was on me. It was, oh, on, it was I'm, on me that I did that, not on them. Joshua, Joshua, I'm I'm laughing because, you know, I figure I, I blame it on the parents because I've been guilty myself in the sense that I've stopped at a corner at a street light, and um, the mothers are letting these girls come outside uh, scantily dressed, basically nude almost, stuff hanging all out. And before you, you're looking, I mean, you're looking, and then when you realize you're looking, then all of a sudden you see that this is a girl, and you have a daughter older than her. But she would have not have looked yeah. at her had she not been dressed the way she was dressed. So it's almost like we're being set up in a, in a sense, you know what I mean? Because I, I have a, a no, absolutely. 42-year-old daughter. You know, I would have never looked at a child just saying, oh, that's a child, because when I was coming up, little girls look like little girls. You know what I'm saying? Now I don't right, know right. if it's in, if it's I don't know if it's in the milk or the potatoes or whatever. And then however their mom is dressing them out there, and I think that's wrong too. You know, so right, right. No, and you know what? I I I agree with you about that, and I agree that and and it, you know and any therapist will tell you it's absolutely natural to look at somebody like that. Uh, one of my one of my therapists that I had in rehab had a great line. They said, "You're allowed to think anything for three seconds, but then that fourth second, that's a choice because your mind just goes to places you don't expect it to go to for a couple seconds. But then you have to reel it in. And uh, you know, and we, while I agree with you that uh, females and women uh, are are dressing in a way that sexualizes them, that makes them uh, targets for for uh, exploitation. Um, that's still not an excuse for what I did. Um, right. You know, I I, I made I made a horrible horrible mistake. I don't blame that child at all. You know, she was a teenager. She should have known better. She should have had better parents who told her not to do that kind of stuff. But it still falls on me as the adult, and I, I take full responsibility for what I did. And hopefully, through my my book, really tells the story of my fall. And how, you know, the stressors in my life, uh, how the alcohol, how I was becoming more and more estranged from my family, and then ultimately how my family, you know, stood by my side and my parents stood by my side um, and a couple, a couple close friends stood by my side. I lost a lot of friends. I still have certain extended family members who won't talk to me, but uh, now we're here almost five years later um, my life is back together, and 
You know, I don't think that my purpose to being put on this earth was to make magazines. I don't think it was to be a local politician. I now think that my purpose is really about spreading education about this. I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not going to stop pornography. I can't stop pornography. But what I can do is educate about the potential dangers of it so people at least make good decisions. Well, one thing you've done, you've taken it off a, a, a stage in an auditorium, and so now you're on a global stage because people from all over the world will be able to hear this show and hear your story. Uh, I, I noticed when you mentioned the alcoholism and, and the drinking and stuff, you left out the other thing that you had mentioned earlier on in the show, um, the fact that you stopped taking your medication as well. And that's huge. That's something that I don't know. I've never read why this is, but it's something that you hear stories of from people who have bipolar disorder that we at some point like to pull ourselves off our meds. And I actually did this once about two years after being on them, and that ended up poorly. It's one of these things where you fool yourself into believing you're okay. Because I was on meds for 10, 15 years, and I, I'm acting just like everybody else around me. I'm not acting crazy. I'm not you know, acting super depressed. I don't think I'm God. No, none of these things. And what people with bipolar disorder, what we often forget is that bipolar disorder is not like a broken leg. It doesn't get fixed over time. It doesn't heal up. Uh, it's a lot more like a, something like diabetes that you have to treat for the rest of your life. And if you pull yourself off your meds, well, the reason you feel normal, the reason you think you're like everybody else is because of the medication. And once you pull yourself right. off of it, you find out you find out that, you know, a chemical imbalance in your system can really wreak some havoc in the real world. Please forgive me uh, for this question here, but does a person with bipolar um, um, really realize that they, they're acting different? I, I'll tell you how I came to, to uh, understand it. When I was in my early 20s, um, I went to a therapist for about a year, and we were skirting around all kinds of issues, and I just was like, I'm, I'm, this, there's something about this that isn't clicking. And then I, I went into a depression, and I'd been depressed a few times, just my third or fourth bout with depression. And I actually went to my doctor and he referred me to a psychiatrist who I'd never, I'd never seen before. And I started telling them that I was very depressed. And he said, well, tell me about the times when you're not depressed. And I started telling him that, well, I only need about three hours of sleep a night, sometimes four. Um, I'm a very creative person. I'm always go, go, go. I'm the first person at the office in the morning. I'm the last person to leave at night. Um, I never miss a party. And he said, you, you sound manic. And I had never heard of mania before. I knew what depression was because that's all over TV. But people weren't talking about manic uh, sides or, or mania. And when he gave me a rundown of the uh, symptoms of bipolar disorder, it was like reading a biography of myself. And so um, – I truly came to understand that there are these cycles. And even on the medication, I have some of these cycles. There are times where, you know, this time of year, living up in Maine, it starts to get gray very early in the afternoon. And we had our first snow yesterday. And while I think it's beautiful looking at it, um, the, seasons, the seasons changing does have a negative effect on me. So, you know, people with bipolar disorder, um, we do understand that 
uh, we yeah, have it. Joshua, we understand the Joshua, cycle. Not, of it. Not, yeah. Joshua, not to cut you off, but when you say uh, a negative effect, uh, what, explain that a little bit. What, it, what exactly? I mean, is it a mood swing or? Um, yeah, exactly. It, it, I can. Oh, okay. I can. If I'm not careful, I can. It, it can turn on a dime. I'm somebody who has bipolar, and I'm a, a very rapid cycling one. That means I go up and down very easily. And you can see me laughing and having a great time uh, one minute, and then three minutes later, I'm standing in the corner crying, and I don't know why. Uh, But I know it's related to my bipolar. I know I'm living with this. I'm managing it the best I can. The medicine does help a lot, but there are still times where I do hit those highs and lows. Okay. Well, that's kind of understandable. I mean, coupled with every other thing that was going on, uh, I could see how you could be driven to the computer screen. I know we had kind of talked about this too as well, but I guess I'm having brain farts. Uh, back on to jump back on the rest thing for a minute. How did that actually occur? Because yeah. I know police usually monitor the internet a lot, and they pretend that they're different people. But was this action? Did this young lady uh, uh, tell her parents she was talking to somebody? How, how did that actually occur? The I didn't read the discovery files. From what I understood from my lawyer, um, this girl was caught by her parents doing this several times, and finally they they wanted to scare the hell out of her, so they took her hard drive brought her to the police station and uh, gave them the hard drive, told them what was happening, and they were able to go into the computer because this was done via Skype, and they were able to check her history, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, forgive me, this was five years ago when they explained this to me. Somehow through her hard, dri- her hard drive, they were able to trace my IP address um, and, and figure out who I was and um, she never deleted anything, um, so you know, dead to rights right there. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Wow. Wow. So let's jump back over here. Let's fast forward again. I know that was kind of like bouncing around in my back of my head because I That's watched okay. a lot, of, lot of, watching around a lot of TV as well. Um, the recovery process. How is that, and and what? does that exactly entail? Well, for me, it's uh, one of the biggest pieces was uh, going through cognitive behavioral therapy. And basically what that is, is as you're making decisions, as you're uh, having react emotional reactions to things, you actually learn to train yourself to stop and look at the decisions you're making, look at what you're saying, look at how you're feeling, and figure out why that's happening. And when I was able to do that, I was able to figure out a lot of different things in my life. Um, Like I said earlier, addiction is really a symptom of something else. Um, What my problem was is that I basically was very conflicted about who I was. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like who I was going back to being a little kid. Um, as a little kid, uh, I was given a lot of mixed messages. Uh, I was raised at my parents' house, very strict Catholics, uh, you know, no sex on TV, uh, you know, no talking about it, anything like that. And then my babysitter, 
who I went to when I was a little kid, they had a much more sexually open household. You know, nudity was prevalent there. I got this message that sex was a great thing there. I felt <laughs> safe at my parents' house. I felt safe at my parents' house. I didn't feel safe at this babysitter's house. So I got some very mixed messages that right. I think when I was 13, 14 years old, I turned to pornography uh, to kind of rectify some of those inconsistencies. And I'll tell you, being at that house, there was there was other abuse that went on there at that, that babysitter's house. And I was never as scared or depressed or, or on edge in my life until I started going on to the computers and, and started to talk to women in chat rooms. I had never been at that bottom, you know, scraping rock bottom level ex- and, and having fear in my life, except for when I was three, four, five years old at this babysitter's house. So really, I had all of these different things, you know, coming up to me at the same time. And my therapist has said it was a perfect storm. There was just so much going on in your life. You know, I probably should have, you know, I drunk drove, I drove drunk so much. I probably should have driven into a house long before I ever got caught doing anything pornographic. Or I should have lost my company because I was mismanaging it so badly long before anything else happened. I was on a road where something was going to give and something was either going to stop me or I was going to end up killing myself in the process. Um you know, I, I was on a bad, bad road, and when the police showed up, it was the scariest, worst moment of my life. But I look back now, and I recognize those police showing up at my door probably saved my life. Mm. Yeah, I can see how that would definitely change your whole direction, boy. That was an awakening. Yeah, absolutely. And like I, you know, and it's, it's a little cheesy to say that you know they were angels at my door. And that kind of stuff. But really, I don't know. My parents and my wife and a couple friends, they could have tried to do an intervention for my alcohol. I probably would have just laughed at them. And the people who I own the magazine with, they could have fired me and I would have just gone and found another job. I needed something at that point in my life to come and just steamroll over everything. And I can't imagine anything else other than the law getting involved that would have ended everything so quickly. So I look back, and while my life is very different now, my motivations are very different now, I think I'm a much healthier, happier person now, um, I trace it all back to that day when when they showed up at my door. Definitely. I can definitely understand that one. Man, that's that 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 is a lot, but you know, uh, I don't know if you're a spiritual person, but I believe everybody was here, put here for a reason. We may not know what it is, and we may not even get there at the same time, but we get there. Well, and my hope is that with with uh, appearing on shows like yours, with making uh, presentations, with my books, what I can do is you know, help limit the victims. If, if there are less victims in this world um, because of people who do things like I did, that's a positive. But if we, if I can also help there be less addicts, if I can, you know, make a few less people go through what I've been through because they get help in advance. Well, that's what I was put here for. I wasn't put here to write magazines or give speeches for the city council. I was here to help people in this specific area and I've never felt anything more strongly in my life. 
Well, then you know your purpose. Then you have arrived, and uh, I'm sure you're going to continue um, to do um, great work. Uh, take take a second too, uh, Joshua, and give the people the name of your book and where they can obtain it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, my book is called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. Um, you can pick it up on Amazon if you want, um, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books online. Um, if you uh, are interested in other things that I'm doing, uh, I, I maintain a website. Uh, there are a lot of resources on there. If you're listening to this and you think you have a problem and you want to learn a little bit more, whether it's going to a 12-step group or learning where there are forums online where you can read more, come visit my website. It's recoveringpornaddict.com. Uh, there's also, I'll put up a link to this interview. Uh, there's a link to buy my book on there. It's trying to be kind of a resource for people. Uh, that's recoveringpornaddict.com. Fantastic. Joshua, are you touring right now? Right now I'm not. I'm working. I've kind of uh, given up, or not given up, but I've kind of put that off to the side. I'm trying to finish my second book right now before the end of the year. I'm working with a uh, therapist out of the Sacramento area, and we're writing a book that's geared towards the wives and girlfriends of porn addicts um, who have either have strong suspicions that their partner is a porn addict or they've just discovered that he's a porn addict and kind of letting them know what they can expect both from a uh, therapeutic point of view and from the addict. Um, We both, you know, we both share stories about, uh, he shares stories with patients he's dealt with. I share stories about my own personal experience. Hopefully that book will be out in uh, early to mid 2019. So when you when you're uh, recovering, I mean, excuse me, man. Here I go again. I'm having a brain farts. When you are uh, uh, recovering, it's okay. They're better uh, than the real uh, ones. Yeah, that's true. When you're a recovering porn addict, do do they make you just do like cold turkey? You just can't watch no porn no more, or is that any well under treatment? my? Thankfully. And I, I say this as well. Thankfully, I was given a couple uh, uh, I, during my time between arrest and sentencing. Part of my bail conditions were that I couldn't look at porn. And then after coming out of jail, one of my probation rules was that I couldn't look at porn. And I didn't want to go back to that place, so I didn't look at the oh, porn. Okay. And re- so it was, it was an extra incentive. And now, you know, in uh, being off of probation, it's been long enough that you know. It, uh, it, it's not something that's part of my regular life every day now. Do I drive down the street and see a pretty girl and think, oh, she's pretty, and you know, hope to God she's a woman when I get close enough? Yeah, I still do that, and I can still see a good-looking woman on TV. Um, I don't have to avoid a movie that has nudity um, because what I just need to make sure I do is not fall into uh, the objectification uh, and, and the actual, you know, um, acts of needing pornography to get through my day, um, whether that's with or without masturbation, because a lot of times I just looked at porn. And there wasn't any masturbation involved. Um, I, you know, I have to make sure 
that I'm not spending time that should be spent doing work, that should be with my family. I have to make sure, and again, through my cognitive behavioral therapy, which I still go to every week, make sure that my mind isn't going to a place that says, yeah, go look at pornography. Yeah, you know, this is going to be okay. This is all right. It's not all right. It's not okay. Um, I love coming on shows like yours because, and I love doing the presentations because it reminds me that I can't do any of this stuff because it's unhealthy and I'll go right down that road. Um, and I don't want to go down that road again. I don't want to get sick again. I don't want to need to look at pictures at one thirty in the morning to get through my day. And for the last four and a half years, I haven't needed that. And, you know, with God by my side, hopefully I'll never need that again. You know, you mentioned something just 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 now that we, we didn't touch on, um, too, and, and the physical part of a porn addiction. I know we talked about looking at it, looking at the TV, looking at the videos, looking at the Internet, but is it any association with any physical activity following that? Like you mentioned, masturbation, do you have any desire to do any of those things? No, because what I have now is a healthy, intimate life with my wife. Back then, I didn't because, like I said, the picture, the pictures on a computer screen, they're different every day. And the pictures on a computer screen, they never say no to me. Well, you know what? That person who's in the bedroom asleep, if I'm feeling it and I want to go in there, she's going to tell me to get off of her because she's sleeping. And I already know how the show runs. I already know how the show ends with her. And, right. you know, we've been we've been married for 15 years now. Well, I, I thought that way, you know, four or five years ago. Now we have, you know, a much more intimate one-on-one connection. So I don't need that other stuff. And that's something that, you know, along with the, the porn addiction, along with my alcoholism, you know, I've had to work on other things as well, just trying to, you know, be a nicer person and not be a jerk as much as I used to be. I've had to work on. I've had to work on intimacy with my wife. One of the things that you know, I was always afraid of was telling her what I wanted or telling her what I didn't want because it, sex was a shameful thing for me. Anything surrounding sex was a shameful thing for me. And, I, you know, thankfully through the therapy, through the rehabs, I'm now able to be intimate with my wife and not intimate just meaning in the bedroom, but also with just who I am as a person, what's in my soul, what I believe you know, I, I can share that with her without fear of shame and fear of rejection. And I thank you again for uh, sharing that personal part of your life, too, because I'm sure that part will help a lot of people, too, um, to know that that support and understanding is, is needed because once you're a couple, once you're married, uh, you're basically one person. And um, that, that that's so important. And she could have been she could have been somebody who left me immediately. I know a lot of men who were in my situation who their wives left immediately. And thankfully, she recognized <laughs> yeah. that I was sick, and she recognized that I needed help. And I can tell you, if I didn't go get that help, if I didn't work on my recovery, if it wasn't important to me, she would have left me. You know, I had to do the hard work for her to see. But thankfully, she stood by my side. And I'll tell you, I've been married for almost 16 years now, and uh, my marriage is probably stronger now than it has been at any other point. Yeah, well, definitely. We want to give a shout-out to Wifey, too, for having your back. Yeah, and like I said, family was so important here because the thing is, 
uh, I, and I make this joke when I do uh, presentations, when I told people that, you know, I'm going off to rehab for alcoholism, people want to shake your hand and pat you on the back and say, you know, go after it. You can do this. When you tell people that you're going to rehab for porn addiction, they don't want to shake your hand. They want to use hand sanitizer because that's still a big taboo. You know, it's one of these things where we need to normalize this. Don't it, it? Pornography addiction is not a failing of morals. It's not something that you're a bad person. You're a sick person, like every other type of addict, and we need to have that kind of understanding. You know, my mother has been by my side this whole time. She's not going to read my book. She'll never read my book. She doesn't want to read bad stuff about me. She doesn't need to know details about my addiction, but she stood by my side and supported me the entire time. That's what's really important, and if you find you have a porn addict in your life or you think there's somebody who's a porn addict in your life, what you have to do is, number one – don't judge. You know, they may be into something that you can't understand at all. Don't judge them. And number two, keep things safe. Let them know that, you know, being around you is safe, that they're in a safe space. If they want to talk about their addiction or if they need some help getting their addiction, you're there and you're safe for them. And you're not going to judge them because that's really what stops people from getting help. Right. Uh, they're afraid, and, and, and you know, and, and society, too, they're so negative, you know. Um, Absolutely. First thing, first thing, like I said, they want to do is not understand. They want to judge and condemn, you know, and uh, it, it, it's crazy, man. So, so we're living in scary times. That's all I can say. We touched on We have one last question here, and I know you kind of touched on it, too, briefly. But uh, it's why should any of us non-addicts really care about porn addiction? Well, like I said, you look at what's what the numbers are for people who are addicts that are young, um, and it's scary. People who grew up with the Internet, that under 35-year-old group who doesn't remember a world before the Internet, they're hooked on pornography in numbers that us older people uh, can't even imagine. Now, if one-third of all men 18 to 35 are hooked on pornography and we don't do anything about it in the next decade, that means one-third of men under 45. And then they're going to be 55, and they're going to be 65. And you can't tell me when there is that many porn addicts in the world that we're going to be living in a healthy society. Addiction is not healthy. Porn addiction seems to be the, uh, a very nasty growing addiction. And if we don't start doing some things with education and letting people know what can happen, then uh, I, I worry about where we're going to be as a society. And society is something that we're all a part of. So uh, if you're not a porn addict, you don't think you have any porn addicts in your life, um, it's still something you need to think about, much like the much like stuff that happens in Washington that you know you don't have control over. It's still important to know what's going on in your society and how different things are going to affect it. And if we don't do something, pornography addiction is really going to affect the society in the next ten, twenty years. Wow, won't that be something? Yeah, not a good picture. No, not at all. Not at all. Not 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 at all. So, is there a, a, a ETA on your book? Do you know when that'll be coming out? 
My hope is that it comes out in May or June. We're finishing it up right now, um, and then we're going to have our agents start shopping it to publishers uh, early next year. That process usually takes a couple months. Once somebody buys the book, it usually takes a few more months after that for it to come out. So, uh, you know, spring, summer, I'll let you know. Um, it, you know, like I said, it's going to be geared for the women because that's been the, one of the most surprising things is I, at my website, recoveringpornaddict.com, uh, I probably I get a lot of email and probably two out of three emails I get are from the wives or the girlfriends who say he has a problem. What do I do? Or, you know, he just admitted to me he has this. What do I do now? Uh, it surprised me how many women actually uh, approached me about this. And as I talked with this therapist, so I met through uh, uh, an intermediary, uh, he was telling me how his he's a family and marriage therapist. All of a sudden, last few years, it seems to be all about pornography and sex issues, people coming through the door. So, And he said, then you've got a lot of women who just keep asking questions. What's going to happen next? What should I expect? What do I do? Is this my fault? You know, is this God's fault? What, 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 you know, what can I expect? Um, so many, so many questions that they can't find answers for. We decided to put out a book that'll be very easy to follow, question and answer style. Um, his, his therapeutic experience, my experience as an addict, and uh, like I said, hopefully middle of next year that comes out, and hopefully we can help some people with that one too. Well, fantastic, and definitely come back through and uh, let us talk about that and. Hopefully we can read a few chapters out of it and when you get it done. I will be the uh, – I'll let you know right when it comes out, I promise. Appreciate it, man. I definitely appreciate you for taking the time to come out and join us today. And for those listeners that uh, didn't get the entire show, it will be available in the next minute or two worldwide. You can hear it from the very, very beginning and definitely go out and, and uh, support Mr. Joshua Shea and his book and uh, go visit his website and tell him where it is again, Joshua. It is Recovering Porn Addicts. That's the website and the title of the book. That is called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and on recoveringpornaddict.com. And again, this is your host, Lamont Patterson. The show will be available Blog Talk Radio. It will be available at worldmovement.com. You can get it at uh, worldmovementpublishing.com. And let me see where else. And everywhere else, just Google the show, and you'll be able to hear the show in its entirety. And we want to thank you so very much, Mr. Shea, and continued success, continue doing the good work. Thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity today. Not everybody uh, has the courage to put somebody like me on their show, so thank you very much for allowing me to spread the word. No, we respect you for having the courage to come forward to talk about it. So thank you, man. And, again, I mean, uh, uh, shout-out to Wifey over there for having you back because I, I definitely applaud all the good women in the world because um, sometimes we need them to help keep us straight. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. You take care, man, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. 
Mr. Joshua Shea, and this is your host, Lamont Patterson. Thank you so very much for joining us on Can I Play a Play, and we'll be back next Sunday, same time, 2.30 PST. Be good, y'all. Oh! 